welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and our guest today is Dr. Anthony Avellino. He's a highly regarded pediatric neurosurgeon, an experienced healthcare administrator, and an endurance ultra runner. He is presently the medical director of pediatric neurosurgery at Valley Children's Healthcare. He's also the author of Finding Purpose, a neurosurgeon's journey of hope and healing. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. So Tony, welcome to the show. Um, Tony is a friend of mine. We, be, we go back a ways and he is an excellent neurosurgeon, pediatric. And he and I, he was in Seattle for a while who did part of his training. Um, I was in Seattle for over 30 years. And he's held a lot of interesting positions, been administrators um, at different programs. He started at John Hawkins. He was a um, Ben, Dr. Ben Carson's partner, who is well known in the neurosurgical world. So right now he now lives in the Fresno area doing the medical director of pediatric neurosurgery. And I don't remember exactly Tony. So first of all, Tony, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. Oh, sure, Dave. You know, it's uh, I must say that you and I have been friends for a long, long time and uh, and uh, learning from each other of how to improve someone's performance is very, very important. So I'm very, very honored to be here. So thanks a bunch. So Tony is um, remarkable is that most physicians are the we have sort of this badge of honor that we can take on any amount of stress, that we are bulletproof. You know, bring it on. It was my attitude. And most of you know my story of burnout was pretty extreme. And Tony and I have almost duplicate stories almost to the event. And so Tony hit a bad burnout. I didn't know what burnout meant. I thought it was for other people. And the problem is we hit a true burnout. You have no control. There's nothing you can do. So it's one thing to be tired and exhausted and sort of tired of your job. It's another thing to hit a full burnout. So Tony has been remarkably open with his battle with it. So the first podcast we're going to do together is sort of talking about how it all sort of started and what it felt like and what the implications were as far as his personal life and actually his practice. Because right now in medicine, the burnout rate is documented to be at least 60%. If you talk to people really carefully, it's probably closer to 80% of physicians have sort of lost their enthusiasm for doing what they're doing. Is that a fair statement, Tony? Oh, yeah, you know, it is. uh, I truly believe that it's a public health crisis, because if we have a million physicians in the United States, and uh, conservatively, if it's 40 40 to 50% are burnt out, we have over half of half of our physicians that are burnt out. And so, uh, so it's uh, really important that you and I come come forward, because um, people suffer in silence. And uh, one of my uh, passions over the last four or five years is really removing the stigma so people have the opportunity to uh, seek help. So I'd like to first do it just, you know, I don't know where the starting point would be, but just, you know, spend a few minutes with this, how you look sure. at the how the burnout, when the burnout started, how it started, what it felt like, and, and you know, what part of your career were you in when the burnout started? Yeah, you know, Dave, um, you know, I I must say that in becoming a neurosurgeon, I sought to live a life bringing healing to those with neurological disease. Uh, after completing my training in 1999, 
to, to 2000, I felt a tremendous sense of pride knowing that I was prepared to have a great impact on patients and families in their time of greatest need. I entered and entered each day with the knowledge that I've given it my all. I, like many of my colleagues, ignored fatigue and underestimated the accumulated trauma and stress until suddenly I became one of those stats, burned out, depressed. Uh, the administrative, clinical, and personal stress has truly struck down my physical and mental health. Uh, so on September 12, 2009, I tried to actually take my life. I uh, sat in my automobile with the um, exhaust coming through the window. Um, when I was getting sleepy, I saw visions of my son, and for some reason, I stopped. Uh, in that particular moment, my resolve was gone, replaced by fear, hopelessness, and a sense of inadequacy. I lacked the skills to respond and was overwhelmed by emotions I had never known. And this was back in 2009. So I finished my training in 2000. Um, and so that was about eight years after. Uh, I felt um, that I was trapped and could not turn to loved ones for support, lest I lose their respect. Um, but however, since attempting to take my life on September 12, 2009, I've been through the employee assistance program twice. Um, and, but from um, going through those programs and, uh, and I think importantly, one of the most important things that when I was the chief executive officer of the Neurosciences Institute at OSF Healthcare, in L, Illinois, um, all the executives went through this ministry leadership formation program. And it was truly a life-changing event for me because it was a personal journey. And it really made me pause um, because I never um, told anyone about it um, because I was very afraid what, what others would think. Um, from my football days in college, I learned that you need to push through. Um, I was, um, fearful of losing my job. And, uh, in fact, the first time I told my story back in, uh, 2016, I remember, uh, before I told my story, one of the executives where I was working said, well, uh, what are you going to, what are you going to say? Um, and I said, well, you know, um, I think my story is, uh, very helpful for those suffering in silence, but he was concerned about, well, how have I disclosed this on my medical license and things like that. And so there's, there's always a fear of that. Um, but, but, you know, for, for me is um, some of the self-coping skills is taking a pause, uh, appreciating what you have, family and friends, but for me, um, ultra running um, really was one of the things that helped me cope. Because uh, I often say I, I find inner peace through my endurance ultra running and ultra running races are these uh, crazy races in the mountains over a marathon, 50 kilometers, 50 miles, 100 miles. But to me, these ultra races are just like the hills of life. You have to prepare, you have to start, you have to work as a team, you have to stay focused and you actually have to finish. Uh, but but really, uh, this gives me the ability to develop some self-coping skills to overcome mental and physical concerns. 
So let me ask you a couple of questions going back to the point where you almost committed suicide. So I think you know I have um, at least 20 medical colleagues that actually committed suicide, including one of my best friends in Seattle who was also a spine surgeon. One of my fellow fellows in Minneapolis committed suicide, again, carbon monoxide. Two other fellows a few years later also committed suicide. So I've got 20 colleagues from suicide. So I think physicians and healthcare providers in general are particularly prone to the problem. And the problem is that we're well-intentioned. And the research shows that if the, the more of a well-intentioned person you are, the higher the chance you, that you're gonna to be tormented with obsessive thought patterns, which are, which are a problem in themselves. And people joke about monkey mind, et cetera, et cetera. But the more of a well-intentioned person you are, the higher the chance that these are gonna occur. And it's actually just a neurological trick. But that's a different topic we'll talk about later. But here's the problem. And what I'd like to focus on for this part of the podcast is that the amount of stress that we're put under pre-medical school, college is bad enough. Medical school isn't horrible, even though it's pretty bad, but residency is ridiculous. So we're, we're asked to work, you know, I mean, think about it. We were asked, the law was passed that we had to cut down a work week to 80 hours a week. Well, 80 hours is a lot of work. So, and of course, nobody ever followed that. People always work harder than that. So we're under an incredible amount of stress. We're constantly being critiqued by patients, colleagues, administrators, et cetera. So we have a ridiculous amount of stress, long hours, yet our only stress management skill, correct me if I'm wrong, is just not complaining. Not, you know, we're just tough. We put our head down, we don't complain. But we also know from research that repressed thoughts and emotions actually fire up your body's physiology even more. You go into fight or flight with repressed thoughts and emotions even more than expressed. So we're given an incredible amount of stress without any stress management skills. And like you pointed out, if we seek help, we get sanctioned. Mm -hmm. I, one of my friends almost loses his license because he just took some Ambien for sleep while he was going through a divorce. I mean, it's just, we have all sorts of examples like that. So your fear of being sanctioned for getting help is extremely real. And so the public doesn't understand this very well. So am I missing something? No, you know, Dave, you know, it's, uh, I often say is uh, what keeps me up at night are not the hundreds of patients that, that, that uh, are under a care that actually have a great outcome. It's the one or two people every year that we make an honest mistake or the disease is so uh, terrible that, that the disease wins. And, and I must say that people say, well, doesn't it get easier. And I say, well, no, it gets hard. I've been in practice for 20 years, uh, 20 plus years. I have 40 kids out there that I hurt or I made an honest mistake or, or you know, the disease was, was so bad. That is what really keeps me up at night. You know, right. it's, uh, you know and, and I must say that I don't, think the, I don't think people understand that the toll of the uncertainty takes on someone's... Um, you know, and, and oftentimes people expect physicians to be absolutely perfect, right. right? You know, I mean, everything goes fine. Everything's perfect, you know, but at, at the end of the day, uh, we are human beings and we do make, we do make honest mistakes, but, you know, but the other learning thing that I've learned over the last um, 10 years is showing compassion towards yourself is one of the most important things that you can do. Because oftentimes, when I talk to medical students or physicians, I, I, I actually ask them, how many show compassion towards yourself? And you'd be amazed how 
very uh, how uh, not many people say, oh yeah, I mean, and, but I think, you know, treating ourselves, uh, we also treat our patients with compassion, but we need to treat ourselves with that too. You know, it, it's, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, you and you and I have spoke about, you know, performance equals skill minus interference. Right. And, and I think that that formula you actually taught me, and I think it's a very powerful thing because if you're an elite scholar, elite physician, elite athlete, whatever you do, you can have all the skill in the world, but if you can't block out that in, interference, whatever it is, if you're not mentally prepared, if you're not, um, um, if you're not mentally well, if you're not happy and satisfied, if you're not doing purposeful work, if you're not in healthy relationships, if you're not showing compassion towards yourself, it's going to be very difficult to perform at your highest level, but also in order to take care of others very, very well, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I think people think physicians are indestructible, you know, and physicians have feelings, you know, we, you know, and, uh, and, and I must say that the combination of what you said, overwork, lack of sleep, lack of eating properly, lack of exercise, I think these have a cumulative effect on one. Well, I've told people for a long time that, you know, we're expected to be perfect. And I don't know about you, but perfectionism was taught to us as a positive trait. Was that your understanding of it? Yeah, you, you know, uh, but uh, I mean... <laughs> Perfection is a positive trait, but you can, it's also a positive addiction. <laughs> right. Well, so, I mean, here's what I learned. One sentence changed my life. It was David Byrne's book called, um, it was it's, it's in his book, Feeling Good. And he made a comment that, you know, perfection is unattainable. That just isn't possible. So he says the difference between your idea of perfection and your reality is the degree of your unhappiness. And I go, okay, wait a second. So with perfectionism, while you're just constantly flailing yourself, then I was doing a, a workshop teaching this Awake at the Womb concept with my friend, David Alamey. And we're talking about perfectionism versus a vision of excellence. And I go, wait a second. So a vision of excellence says, I'm here. I want to have a high level of skill. And these are the steps I need to get there. As opposed to perfectionism, we just keep driving yourself of not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. And what happens, you wear yourself out, whereas a vision of excellence is a completely different energy. So that was another huge point in my life where I go, wait a second. So the energy that takes you up the hill that makes you, quote, successful is the same energy that takes you right down the other side. And if you have physicians who are burned out, unhappy, divorces, all sorts of crazy activities, drug abuse, et cetera, and suicides, that doesn't sound like success to me. I mean, how do you, so, so yeah. how do you, so let me ask you a question now. Okay. So let me ask you your definition of success now that you've been through all this compared to when you were to say like your last year in residency, you, you, I'm guessing you're defining success much differently now than you did back then. Yeah. You know, I, I often say that I wish I knew today, 35 years ago, because I would have been uh, a lot more at peace, but oftentimes I think that perfection equals like climbing the ladder. Right. And uh, and what I've learned over the last uh, five years is letting the journey of life unfold, because uh, oftentimes as a you know, for I know for me, 
um, going from college, coming, going to high school, trying to get the best grades, getting into the best college, getting, be getting into the best medical school, getting into the best residency, getting the best job. And you're always climbing, 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 and right. you don't have the opportunity to actually pause, you know, and, uh, and, and I think, um, um, having the ability to um, stay in the present, having the ability to let the journey of life unfold. Because uh, oftentimes if you push, 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 um, you may not get that. And that attributes to more anxiety too. You know, it's, uh, because as a medical student, you actually think that you want to do this. Right. Uh, when you get there, you realize, well, hmm, I, I'm not sure if that's what I really want. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting you said that because, you know, I'm do, I'm being mentored by this business pen in Seattle that I'm trying to get you involved with also. Yeah, exactly. I won't mention his name right now, yeah, but yeah. Um, he, he said something that blew me away. So he's one of the most successful human beings I know. He's accomplished a tremendous amount, as you well know. And he made a comment, says, when you take on a project, take time out of it. So he says, whatever you do, the first thing you should do in life is actually, what can you do that brings you joy? Now, what project you're going to do? But the first step, the first question you ask yourself with every project that you do, or personally, is what brings me joy. So that caught me off guard because I'm, I have my obsessive work patterns that I'm comfortable with, but that's not the same as joy. The second, the second thing says when you take on a project, take time away, from, take time out of it, because all we put time into the equation, it just creates anxiety. So I'm looking at him because, I mean, he, you know how successful he is, but that's the way he does it. Time is not an issue with him. Blew me away. But you have to admit that our culture, I mean, not just surgeons, but every aspect of medicine, psychiatry, internal medicine, there's this competition and it's sort of a selection process that you have to be sort of a, a perfectionist to get in because when you're a perfectionist, you drive yourself beyond reason. And then you have no resources to help cope with the stresses that are created. So you tend to overachieve, overdrive without any coping skills. And then patients sort of say, well, okay, you have plenty of money, you have a good position, you have all this reputation. Why should you complain? So they do put us up on a pedestal. And that's, I remember the moment I was working with David Lehman in this workshop and looking at the difference between perfectionism and a vision of excellence and realized that I had taken on that role. I, I took on my patients need for me to be perfect and paradoxically as you know as you give up that need and, and you adopt this approach my complication rate by the way dropped probably 80 percent so as you acknowledge being human your consistency of performance actually goes up whereas perfectionism is distracting and wears you out and your performance actually goes down so that's where you know i've not had a chance to pursue this for a while but the wake at the wound stuff is really really still a passion for me Let's go back to the burnout question for a second. So let's let's talk from the patient standpoint, because most of the patients on, that are listening to this podcast have had chronic pain, different chronic illnesses. They've been bounced from doctor to doctor to doctor. And the number one, I think, legitimate complaint that they have is that my doctors aren't listening to me. And it's a legitimate complaint. But I also found, I've also pointed out the fact that medicine is incredibly tedious. What makes medicine incredibly interesting is actually the patient because they're infinitely different. So what we do is repetitive. We do it over and over and over again. It becomes very tedious after a while. So it's that connection with the patient that actually keeps physicians energized, but that's been taken away from us. So I'd just like to have you comment, first of all, how you define burnout. 
because I think patients, they call you just tired of your work, you're working too hard. Maybe you're just not tough enough while you're complaining. So that's one thing, attitude that I get. But also the other fact that's ironic, and this is, this is not our fault or the patient's fault, is that the business, business of medicine has kidnapped us. So by not talking to our patients, I think it's one of the chief causes of burnout. Dave, you- yeah, Dave, I, um, I must say that the biggest joy I think that, uh, that we have, I, I, I know for me, is shepherding a patient from wellness to injury to wellness. Right. And there's no better feeling than helping one navigate that. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, but, but I think, uh, let me step back, because I think the COVID pandemic has really helped healthcare leaders and healthcare systems to put a better focus on wellness. Um, and I think we're at a stage now that three things that I see that healthcare systems are doing is one is they're educating their workers on the signs and symptoms. Uh, because I must say that for me is I never really knew the signs and symptoms. My burnout probably started in medical school and residency. Um, uh, so I think understanding the signs and uh, signs and symptoms. So what are some of the signs and symptoms? But basically, uh, it can lead to anxiety, depression, suicide thoughts, marital and family stress, anger issues, addiction. Um, so that's one. Two is um, I think uh, healthcare systems and physicians are buying into the con- concept of having wellness surveys. Where, where they can get a best baseline of where they are so they can track uh, progress along the way. And three, because I think healthcare systems and healthcare leaders, and I think as physicians too, is we're, uh, we're actually um, being able to participate in wellness programs, such as around nutrition, exercise, sleep, um, you know, and anything that brings one's level of stress down, it could be journaling, narrative writing, you know, um, all the things that you, um, you do and you actually teach your patients, um, you know, but, but I, uh, but the whole burnout concept is, um, you know, I, I try to, um, get away from using the, the, uh, the word burnout because burnout is sort of has a negative connotation and so really using sort of wellness you know and uh, you know and 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 i think the wellness um you know but but you know i i must say that what what you said in the beginning i think resonates i think physicians are uh not programmed to ask for help but i think now i think people are beginning to realize that um it's a really important thing well, I think we take on the projections of our patients. They want us to be perfect. They mm-hmm. want us, they put us up on a pedestal because they need us to be there so they can trust us. So I think we take that on and we put ourselves up on a pedestal. I don't think we do it in an arrogant way. It's just that's, that's what we're supposed to do. We take on that role and it just takes a lot of work to stay up on that pedestal without other support. So, you, so I had the same experience you did. Now, when I was going through this burnout, I thought I was a wimp. I thought I was weak. Mm-hmm. I, was, I felt very, very much alone and isolated. And I didn't know where, I couldn't really talk to people. I mean, I, I certainly couldn't, I, I mean, I talked to people, but it wasn't my fellow colleagues. 
And correct me if I'm wrong, you may have had a different experience than I did. I mean, I had, I had really great partners and stuff like that. But I think what takes physicians out as far as suicide, burnout, all sorts of stuff is simply anxiety. But nobody wants it. But when I give lectures on burnout to physicians, I use the word anxiety. Everybody has it. When I talk to people carefully, I swear to God, everybody has it. But nobody wants to talk about it. It's like a sign of weakness that you're anxious. And anxiety is a survival reaction. It human is life. It's a gift. But nobody wants to talk about it. I don't know what's been your experience with that. Yeah, you know, I I, I think your one needs a little bit of uh, anxiety in order to become resilient and improve. Right. And as physicians, we actually deal with a lot of uncertainty. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'm not sure you, but I, I know in my practice, no person's the same. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, even though you, you, you think you know what to do, that that's right. Um, you know, you, um, I, I think as you become an older physician, you become wiser and you begin to realize uh, um, that you need to think through things a bit more. Right. The other, the other thing is that I'm also, this is a little bit different topic and I'm not sure how to discuss this, but you know, you come out of residency, you've done all these, you know, different surgeries and you've done a lot of volume. And so it's sort of laid on your shoulders that, that you're this hot surgeon and you can do anything. And you and I both know that the 10,000 hour rule is really critical in surgery with repetition, that you're a much better surgeon at seven years than you are at one year. Oh, I'm, I'm with you. You know, but yeah. But we take it on and we're not really ready to do the stuff that we're expected to do. So this un- realistic expectation of form at the level of a veteran surgeon is totally, I mean, I'm probably, God, I'm probably 300% better now than I was my first five years of practice. Oh yeah. You, you know, and, and, and I think a lot of it uh, goes to, uh, you don't want to show a sign of weakness. Right. But, 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 you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because at my stage of my career is uh, um, I am very passionate about mentoring and uh, the younger physicians, uh, right. because I watched at uh, where I trained in Seattle, I watched, um, you know, numerous um, uh, senior physicians mentoring the younger ones. And, and I thought that was a very powerful thing. And that really helped the younger physicians gain their confidence. And as one gains their confidence, your, your anxiety comes down, you're more relaxed and your complication rate probably comes down too. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Tenny, um, thanks for, um, you know, this part of the podcast. And the next one, we're going to talk about um, sort of the solutions in your outlet now and, and some of the things you can do to mentor your younger partners. So, um, Tony has been remarkably open about his story. Um, I'm, his, I'm guessing it's helped him as much as helping the people he's talked to. Um, I was there in Illinois where maybe one of the first times you told your story it was 2016 when you first started telling yeah, your story. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, Dave. You know, in fact, and uh, you, 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 you helped us in our event in uh, Chicago. And right. I thought that was a very powerful event. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Anyway, um, so Tony, right now I know you're in practice and I know we talk about different resources people have. Um but right now you're just basically medical director in Fresno. Anything that we should know or anything we should access from you or resources or anything, particularly a website or anything we should know about? 
I would direct thee to my uh, book website. So my uh, my book is called Finding Purpose, A Neurosurgeon's Journey of Hope and Healing. Okay. And the website is findingpurposeabolino.com. Got it. So yeah, please take a look at this book. It's a quick read. So it's not just for surgeons, it's for everybody. Um, and so you'll find it a very interesting, quick read, very insightful. It's one of the quicker reads I've I'm sorry, I've gotten a lot of insights out of a very short read. I thought it was very concise and really nicely written. So, yeah. So anyway, all right, Tony, thank you. And we'll talk to you in a few minutes. Great. Thanks, David. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Anthony Avellino, for being on the show today and for sharing his journey through physician burnout and the insights he gained from it. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.